The Stevens College MFA in TV and Screenwriting presents How I Wrote That. Hell of a deal. Go ahead and cry yourself to sleep if you don't know how you feel. Cause I'm on a mission to stay in motion. I'm on a mission to stay in motion. I'm on a mission to stay in motion like a cartwheel. Hello, welcome to How I Wrote That. Um, we are so glad you're here. We're back at Jim Henson Studios. We are Stevens College MFA in TV and Screenwriting, and we are back with our Mentors series. I can't wait to introduce you to our newest <laughs> mentor voice. <laughs> well, you've been with us, but new to the podcast. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so I'd like to introduce you to Jennifer Maisel. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Um, Jennifer is a playwright. We're going to talk all about her play, Eight Nights. Um, she's done two-hour indie features, pilots. She just did two lifetime book-to-screen adaptions, and she is a wonderful mentor. Thank you for being here. Thank you for asking me to be here. <laughs> it's fun. Um, so we're going to chat a little bit about both the writing process and spending time here with the students. Mm -hmm. I would love, especially because you work in different mediums, both as a playwright and TV and film, mm -hmm. Mm, to go back to the moment where you knew you were going to be a writer, was there a moment or was it always part of you? I think I always had a tendency to think of myself in third person. So <laughs> that was. <laughs> so, but I think I thought I would write fiction. Mm. Um, and at the kind of end of high school, I did a summer program. There was, and we, I did a class, and it was supposed to be writing for theater and the guy changed it to writing about theater but we kind of rebelled and <laughs> made us have to you know we said we have to write plays that were fairly terrible <laughs> i don't, don't know where they are and i don't want to know where they are oh my and, gosh. and then um my freshman year of college I ended up going to college at the place where i'd done the program and and then my freshman year of college another friend who had been in that class also went and she said let's go take this playwriting class and I said uh -huh. well we can't you need permission she said well let's get permission <laughs> thank goodness for <laughs> like, that I'm friend. an idiot right <laughs> and, uh, big lessons in advocating for yourself mm -hmm. so uh, that uh, the man who taught that Robert Gross became my mentor and I started writing plays and that's really where my voice I think belongs and even mm. though I have a novel, I have 40 pages of a novel that may never be more than 40 pages of a novel. And do you know how many words are in a novel? There's a lot of so words. So many words. <laughs> so it's like, I've written 40 pages, I barely, you know, scratched the surface. Right. And it's like having written a play or a, a screenplay. It's as many yeah. words as that. Yeah. So um, I don't know that, I, that may never it may never see the light of day that one. Yeah, right? who knows? Yeah. I mean, work is so funny the way it rises and falls in our lives as mm -hmm. we're making different projects. And it always tends to take the back seat because there's always a play and there's often me trying to get work in other areas. Right. So it, I don't always have big windows to work on it. Yeah. Our yeah. students come to us for all different reasons. Um, some of them are already making movies, but they're really on the technical side of it and they really want to get that story down on the page. We have a lot of playwrights. I think part of that is 
Um, our founder, Ken Lezebnik, is a playwright. Mm -hmm. We met at a playwriting conference. That's actually where I that's, first heard about that's it. That's where I met him, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to dig into your playwriting, especially mm -hmm. Eight Nights has been doing so beautifully. Cause can you tell us about the play, first of all, and then let's talk more. Yeah, so the, the play is about a German-Jewish, that didn't come out right, a German-Jewish refugee who comes here at age 17 in the late 1940s. And it's eight nights of her life over eight decades, eight nights of Hanukkah, actually, over eight decades. Um, and so she starts the play at 17. She ends at 86. And it interweaves the post-trauma of the Holocaust experience with the um, legacy of trauma in the African-American community and the Japanese-American community and with the Syrian refugee crisis at the end. So it spans a lot of time. Yeah. Um, we just had our world premiere production at Antios Theater in Glendale, which mm -hmm. was just phenomenal because I'm the luckiest playwright in the world and had an incredible director and a cast that was just the dream cast. Yeah. So. Um, that was amazing, <laughs> and and now trying to figure out you know what's what's next for right. the play. But we also at the same time um, had another project going on that was not related to the production um, that was called Eight Nights of Eight Nights. And after the Tree of Life shooting at the synagogue yeah. in Pittsburgh a little over a year ago, um, my friend and often work compadre Rachel Leventhal came to me. She had seen a reading of Eight Nights and. She said, I really want to do something to raise money for HIAS, which is the Hebrew right. Immigrant Aid Society, mm -hmm. which is um, whose mission is to help refugees worldwide. And it is why the shooter came into the synagogue and killed all those people. Wow. And she said, I really feel like your play is inextricably linked to what, to what this is about. And can we do a reading um, to raise money for HIAS? And actually, we ended up doing something called Eight Nights of Eight Nights, which was supposed to be eight readings of the play in eight different cities over the course of the year, right. all to raise money for Hias, um, all followed with panel, panel discussions and things like that. And we ended up doing nine. So oh. we, had, um, we had nine nights of eight nights, and it was <laughs> like raising money and awareness. And it was quite, quite a cool, cool project to be part of, oh, you know, yeah. to kind of use my theater in a different way mm -hmm. than I had before. And so. as a theater person, my feed actually, just like my social media feed has been full of people being so deeply moved by your work. People that don't know I know you, people that just walked in and saw the play. And so I've been so excited to know that we were going to get a chance to sit down and talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to know when you started writing the play, mm -hmm. was, it, was there an idea that you started with or you knew right away this is what the structure will be? Um, I kind of go two ways with the play. Like sometimes I'm just writing and I write hundreds of pages and then I figure out what the play is. Mm -hmm. And then this was the exact opposite of that. So there was this election a few years ago that left a lot of people yeah. in a state of trauma. I remember. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially um, I, I don't know about you as an artist, but as an artist, I felt like the world has changed, the game has changed. Yeah. I can't write what I was going to write. Yes. And I had been thinking about, oh, I don't think I've ever seen a Hanukkah play, and it wouldn't be interesting to do something that had eight scenes that lined up with the eight, eight nights of Hanukkah, but I hadn't really narrowed down what it was going to be. I think I thought it might be like a family comedy, mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. at, but I couldn't write. And so that was you know November, December, I couldn't write. And then January, somebody started tweeting the manifest of the St. Louis. And the St. Louis is the ship, the refugee ship filled with Jews that 
were told they could leave Germany and go to Cuba mm. and seek refuge in Cuba, and they were all going to hopefully make their way to the United States after that. Well, instead they got turned back from Cuba. The United States wouldn't take them, um, and Canada wouldn't take them, and they ended up going back to Germany. Wow. And about a third of the people who were on the ship, a third of the Jews who were on the ship, um, perished in the camps. So someone was tweeting the manifest in St. Louis, and it was like, this is this family, and this is what happened. This is this family, and they died at Auschwitz. This is, and, you know, I started looking at those articles, and then I went back and started reading articles in the New York Times from the 1930s about the refugee problem, which was the Jewish refugee problem, which were, like, exactly the same as the articles mm -hmm. in 2017 about the Syrian refugee right. problem. Um, so I'm actually part of a group in LA called Playwrights Union, and once a year mm -hmm. we'll do this playwriting challenge where you say, okay, starting such and such a date, I'm gonna, everybody's gonna try to write a first draft of a play in a month. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you make it, sometimes you don't. Right. <laughs> uh, but that's the, that's the goal. And I start, so the inauguration took place, I think it was January 24th, the Muslim ban went into effect January 25th, and I started writing the play that day, and mm. the first draft was in the month. So I knew like eight, I knew eight nights, I knew it was gonna be one approximately each decade, but mm -hmm. not exactly, and I knew kind of where I wanted to end up was right. the last day of Hanukkah, which was happened to be New Year's Eve 2016 going into 2017. Yeah. So we know what's coming. Do and then the rest is kind of taken. Do the same actors play different characters throughout the play? How does that work? Yeah, so with there's so um, the woman who plays young Rebecca, um, who's our our main character throughout. She's she's played by the same actress for the first three nights, and then that actress plays her daughter and then her granddaughter, wow. and then um, the woman who plays. Older Rebecca plays the ghost of the mom who perished in the camps, and then plays older Rebecca from late 40s to 80 something. And they, uh, she was just phenomenal. So yeah. it, it's there's always a mother daughter dynamic in each scene, mm. mm -hmm. um, too. And there's a lot about legacy, legacy and inherited trauma in you know in the. Jewish community and in the African-American community, and so that's that's a big part of the play. Do you ever see this becoming a film? I think more likely and more in my head right now is the idea of doing it as a limited series. Yes. Because then I could go deeper into each night, like have eight episodes and go deeper into each each night. Mm -hmm. um, wow, that would be beautiful. So I think that would be just a dream. Okay, on the <laughs> fan, I don't know who's listening to the podcast, but producers. Yeah, after the <laughs> after the first the Broadway producers and the yeah, <laughs> yes, we need both of those. Yeah, and I absolutely. know it's happening. Totally, man, it's so beautiful to hear you talk about that work from a playwright. So then, how did you start working in other mediums? You're writing plays, and clearly that's still a home mm -hmm. for you. Was it just a natural thing to branch out and do other things and come back home to playwriting, or was there a moment? Well, I went to graduate school at NYU in the dramatic writing program, and in that program you actually had to write for screen, and you had to write for, you, you wrote, you will, as a student there you would write a play and you would write a screenplay even if you were ultimately focused right. on one or the other. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a time when television wasn't quite as popular, so 
people did write for TV in that, but the, I think the big goals were you're focused in screen or you're focused in theater. Mm -hmm. And um, and what I always liked was I think some things are films and some things are TV and some things are theater. And yeah. you, sure, you can adapt one to the other, but certain things belong in a certain lane. Yeah. So I, and I love going back and forth between them. I mean, you know, okay, in the perfect world, if you can make a living out of theater, which you cannot, <laughs> it, it's, we love it would be love to be, <laughs> it, would, it would be lovely to always be able to write a play, but there's always times you want to write something else mm -hmm. and, um, and want to do things you can't do. Mm. Yeah. But there's so many things you can do in theater that you can't do in film and TV and people don't understand that. They think theater is like you and me sitting here talking. Right. This is not theater. Right. Right, yeah. I mean, just the idea of watching bodies morph in front of you into different characters mm -hmm. seems like a simple idea that on film is going to read very differently. There's a lot of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, because you could just do something else, right. and that's the medium of it. We were talking earlier about, um, in one of the sessions today, about adaptions of something like War Horse, which, um, you know, is a totally different experience, mm -hmm. because it, in theater it was created with the idea of this beautiful puppetry and the theatricality of what's right. possible there. That's, you know, you don't do that in a movie, right? right. So it becomes a totally different piece and of art. And that was magical in theater. Right. right, right. It really was. So it's, it, it's, theater's always this opportunity to create magic in a way that I don't think film does. Right. And I love film. Right. So it's, it's just a different way of telling a story. Mm-hmm. But that we could, in our not incredibly large theater with one set, show you the arc of 80 years. Yeah that would take, you know, a lot more in a film. Yeah. In so and, many ways, know. the budget, because you have to put that face right in front of us on right. screen, so. Right, and what we buy in as a theater yeah. audience. Like, you know, I always say it's, it's. I have two characters sitting in front of a 7-Eleven in a, in, a, in a play. All I need is two characters sitting and one of them's holding a Slurpee cup and right. we're at the 7-Eleven. Yes. But if you're in a film, you need the 7-Eleven. Yes. And I think I always say, I also lead a bunch of workshops on equity, diversity, inclusion, and mm -hmm. especially in the arts, but in all kinds of organizations. And one of the examples I give is I'll ask people to um, tell me what were the assumed norms of where they grew up. And they'll tell you and little things about their town or mm -hmm. things. And, and then they'll share with someone else who had a totally different experience growing up. And I always say, if a writer writes about a bedroom and they just say bedroom, then you're going to imagine your bedroom. That's how our brains work. Right. But if you paint that bedroom for them, then you can place them in the room. And I, I always pair that to when you're trying to talk about oppression and the person across from you can't hear you, it's often because they're walking you around their bedroom, right? They're mm. walking you around their yeah. world. And I think that's the beauty of writing, too, is you get to paint that world, whether it be on stage where the bodies are morphing or in set where you're really, the, the words you put on the page to draw up with that, set is going to look like are going to come alive right in front of you, which is exciting too. Yeah, we hope. <laughs> we hope. We hope. That's the goal. So what was it like um, adapting books to screen for Lifetime? Was, had you done adaptions before? Yeah, I've done adaptations before. Um, this, it's, truthfully, it's fun. I like the puzzle of taking something that's, you know, Novels are epic. Even, yeah. you know, not great novels are epic. They're a lot. And you have to figure out how to find the essential spine to it and give shape to it as a writer 
and honor it without, mm-hmm. you know, it upsetting people who love the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I, I really, I like the puzzle of it, truthfully. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, um, they were juicy stories, which was really fun. Yeah. And it's fun taking something, you know, when you adapt, you're starting, you're not starting with the, the entirely blank page. You're starting at a different level mm-hmm. so there's there is also kind of what people bring to that because yeah. they have an expectation of seeing the adaptation of a novel and it being how they see the book right which is you walking know. around their world yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always walking around your world <laughs> so i i i think it's it's fun i like that challenge and i'm happy to do many many more um yeah. can i ask you a log- logistical yeah. question mm-hmm. about it so obviously you read the book. Mm-hmm. Then do you have a w- like do you have a way that you begin? Like literally, do you have a highlighter? Do you have note cards? Do you take a core thought, or do you just read it and let that wash over you and begin? I mean, the first time I'll probably just read it and let it wash over me. Or if I'm, I tend to read it on the iPad. I might mark things that mm-hmm. I that I think about, especially if I don't have a lot of time to read it before I'm pitching on it or something right. like that. And. The note cards come later, but usually, because if you're doing a movie for television, you break things into nine acts. Mm. So I tend to do like, someone showed this, some, some friend who was writing them before I was writing them showed this to me once and it's great because you just do columns for each act. So you can kind of break it out mm-hmm. and see where things have to split. Because, you know, it, that's the different thing about writing for like writing a novel and adapting it is that if you're doing something that you have to have some reason at the end of a act so for people to come back after the commercial break you need to work out where the cliffhangers should be so to say like what what emotional beat are we going to end on so somebody says oh this is worth me sticking around for the next few minutes um but sometimes things break down or you know better than others mm-hmm. some stories are you know have more story yeah, yeah <laughs> totally um, cliffhangers are not necessarily needed depending on how the structure of the book goes right so. i don't mean cliffhanger like literally like standing yeah. on the edge of the cliff sure. but the thing the emotional beat sure that has to be high so yeah. that we want to come back at the end of it it's so interesting to hear you say there are nine acts in a tv movie because we are always talking about act structure yeah. here obviously um, you know, the, the acts that are in a movie for film is different from the acts that are in a one mm-hmm. hour or uh, a half hour pilot or, you know, you mm-hmm. know, or a TV movie. So it's great to hear you talk about how there's a nine act structure because I don't think people talk that much yeah, about that. It used that. to be seven and then they added more commercial breaks. <laughs> 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 it's harder and harder. There's, you know, you have less and less time to get your story across. Yeah. Yeah. And TV, you got to mm-hmm. pace that story. It's, yeah, you do. Great. So. I want to ask you just one more question about how you mentor, and then we'll, mm-hmm. at, we'll do one thing about writing. So okay. um, obviously we work with all different types of students from all over the world, really. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have people come from abroad to be part of the program, and we have such fantastic mentors. And I remember when we were creating the MFA, there was always conversation about one thing that we're going to do and we're going to do really well is really listen to people's voices as they come in and pair them with mentors that will will open them up or pair with their dreams or just be the partnership that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of our mentors. 
And I would love for you to tell me, what does mentorship mean to you? Like, what are you offering the student, because particularly yours? I want to be the champion of the thing that they want to write. I, I don't, I, I want them to write the best piece of what it is that they want to write, because I don't see a point in, especially if you're specking something, to writing anything that someone else wants you to write. Mm-hmm. So I don't want it to be my story. I want it to be the best possible of their stories. Now, I might throw a bunch of stuff at them. I might, <laughs> um, you know, demand that they rethink because certain things just don't fly or don't sell or are uninteresting. Yeah. But to me, it's always fascinating when I get a student writing about something that I have, like, no clue about whatsoever and would never be a movie that I would want to write or uh, watch or a right. series that I would want to watch. And I have to find my way into it and i'm the i mean i'm the character person like to me everything is about character if it's sci-fi it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. i mean one of my favorite scripts was a horror script and i hate horror right i hate it one of my favorite scripts that one of my students wrote you yeah, know but yeah. it was but i loved how he wrote it and i mm -hmm. thought the characters were rich and um that's what i'm always pushing Right. people for more depth more depth more depth because you can fix the other stuff yeah but if the characters are uninteresting first of all who's going to want to be in it right <laughs> and who's going to stick with watching it and if it's a series and we're not interested in people we're not coming back right right so and in a series you're building those characters mm -hmm. that can you can spend so much time with right and sometimes i think it's good if it's something that i don't know anything about because then I'm the novice, yeah. you know, if someone's writing a sports thing and I like, I, I could not know less about sports than I know, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not possible. But if they are, then I need to be the audience. I'm the audience member who doesn't know that. So what right. am I seeing? What am I, you know, what are you defining for me? I need clarity. I need to know why I care about this person. I'm not going to care about this person because they hit a home run. Right. I'm going to care about this person because they triumphed over something. Right. Which we happens to be a home run. <laughs> we're, and just for purely technical reason that it's good for you is we, ch we were chatting in the room this week about how if you create a character from scratch and it's your character, whether you stay with the show or not, if they were created under your watch, then you also then are you, you have a residual effect payments. with that character, yeah. right? What is it called? Character payments, I character believe. Character payments. I believe. Yeah, I of could be course. <laughs> Straightforward, to the point. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> done many series, but I think so. <laughs> Great. Well, I want to uh, I want to honor your time. It's been so lovely to to sit with you. I'm gonna ask you one more question, sure. and that's just if you were to leave our writers at home who are listening with one piece of advice about coming to the page, and I know you have a million things, but just one for now, what would it be? Just come to the page. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a trick. It's not. A, it's, it, it's not a trick. I have a, a friend who's a novelist, um, Delaney Michelle, and she used to say. She would write bad pages at the top of her, mm -hmm. of every day. She would, and she would write three bad pages every day. I love it. And oh. that's how she would make herself do it. And when I can't do it, I'm like, okay, this is my, this is just about throwing it down on the page yeah, and I'll get going. to the rest of it later. Oh. So come to the page. Come to the page. Three bad pages. <laughs> I hope you turn off the podcast and you write that at the top of your page and you begin. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at the Stevens MFA and TV and screen editing. Jennifer, you're great. <laughs> 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 and thank you to everybody at home. Thank you to the Tribeck Foundation who's been wonderful about supporting us in our work here, about getting more women 
and underrepresented voices in the room. We'll see you next time.